Welcome to the Business of Music. I'm Jan Hall from Folk Roots Radio. And I'm Gary Glass from Quantum Sound Productions. The Business of Music is a new video and audio podcast devoted to, well, all aspects of the music business. Um, through interviews and discussion, we talk about how do you make a go, I think, as an independent artist. Isn't that right, guys? Try to make the independent artists give them a clearer path, if that's possible, in today's modern industry. Yeah, exactly. And I think you can find the show on... You can find the show on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes for the podcast, and uh, subscribe, ring the bell so you get the notifications. Otherwise, uh, comments. Uh, we're welcome. We welcome your comments. If there's, you know, other th- other subjects you'd really like to see tackled, we're, we're ha- happy to see that. That's absolutely right. And we do want to hear from you. So uh, if you like what we're doing... Let us know. If you don't like what you're doing, like Gary, let us know too. Let us know. We're pleased to welcome into the studio today Chris Ronald. Now, I've known Chris Ronald for quite a while. He's an English singer-songwriter, now living in Vancouver, moved to Vancouver in 2002. And since he moved to Canada, he's really developed a a great music career as a singer-songwriter. For instance, his last two albums, the most recent album, Fragments from 2017, it's one of my favorite albums of the year. I get teased for that a lot, but it's true. It's a great, great album out on the Borealis Records label, which as far as folk music and singer-songwriters is concerned, is probably pretty much one of the best um, record labels, certainly in Canada, that are out there today. The album before that uh, timeline from 2014 was nominated for a Canadian Folk Music Award for English Songwriter of the Year. So I think this guy knows his stuff. Sounds that way. We're pleased to welcome into the studio Chris Ronald. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm very well, thanks. You must get tired of me making those wonderful introductions. (laughs) (laughs) I could sit here all day just listening (laughs) to you. Just keep doing the introduction. Lap it up. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for your kind words. So let's start the discussion by talking about your music because, as I mentioned, you moved to Canada in 2002. Mm. Uh, did you have a career as a singer-songwriter before you left the UK? No. Um, I dabbled as a teenager with a band. I was writing songs then, and the band would play a mix of those songs and, and covers. And then it's just something that just kind of always bubbled away, but I never did anything serious with it. In Sunderland, um, you oh, know, it's the Sunderland joke started. Yeah, well, just want so everybody. the interesting thing is, is that one of my favorite things to do uh, now is uh, house concerts, and uh, but I remember uh, taking my guitar to house parties at university, and I would do like chill out, uh, a chill out set, like after the DJ had gone home, and you know. Um, so it down. almost feels like it's come full circle, although it was way more formal uh, so many years ago. Um, so it was really when I came to to Canada that um, that I, I got motivated, really motivated around it. I got re-inspired and I decided that I was going to do something more, uh, um, what's the word, comprehensive with it. Yeah. So when you say re-inspired, was that when you thought, you know, I, I want to start recording some of these songs or was it I want to get out and perform I mean did the performing come before the recording um it all kind of came at the same time really I wrote songs to perform when I moved to Vancouver I decided to train to become a teacher and um as part of my because I had an inferior degree from England (laughs) I had to I had to remember that story I had to do some makeup courses, but that included one course, which was an introduction to electroacoustic music. It didn't really matter what course I took, so long as I got my credits up. It could be considered an art course too. So, and that introduced me to um, you know my first experience with um, multi-track recording software. And so, off the back of that, I recorded my first two albums, and then I qualified to be a teacher and I was a full-time teacher and then uh, for a few years and then I suddenly had three kids and I decided to take two years off to be a stay-at-home dad and that's when things started to change like and I realized that I had to do I had to pursue music otherwise I was going to be miserable so during those two years I started writing I think I was inspired by my kids 
by having kids for, for a start. And, uh, and I uh, recorded my second album and I put it out independently, like CD Baby, I think it was back then. I'm not even sure if they exist anymore. But oh, they, oh, yeah. They're, they're, yeah. They're, they're growing concern. Yeah. Uh, put it out on CD Baby. I mailed out a few copies, like to the Georgia Strait, which is the local right. uh, Vancouver ent entertainment paper, which is still going. And that was kind of towards the end of my two years off. I went back teaching after those two years. And during the first term, I got a review from the Georgia Strait. And I, I remember, actually, it popped up. You can do something on Google. So if your name's mentioned... It'll give you a notification. If it sees your name somewhere on the internet, it'll send you a notification. I can't remember when I set that up. But anyway, so this thing pinged on my phone, and I looked at it uh, at recess, and it was like, oh, my God, he really likes it. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of started the wheels in motion. I was like, somebody respected his his you know, giving me high praise for for an album that I wrote and produced in my basement. And that, that was the second album. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, by the first term, I was depressed. And I think having spent that time with my kids, having got back into my music, and then trying to fit back into the nine to five, by Christmas I was depressed. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God. What am I going to do? How, how can I pursue the music, keep a family going, keep the money coming in, but honor, honor my heart, you know? And so that's when I decided, you know, what I could do is I could just take a step back from the teaching, become a supply teacher, substitute teacher, which would allow me to block time off if I need to go off on tour or anything like that. And that's what I've been doing for the last five or so years is plugging away at my music and then earning the bread and butter by teaching while I'm in while I'm at home. And how does that feel? Does that feel real good? It does. I enjoy uh, going into a different classroom every day, the variety of it. Um, but then I also enjoy blocking two weeks off to come to Ontario <laughs> to perform music. And I think you're going back to your comment about the writing, the performing. I was interviewed uh, last year at um, Salmon Arm Roots and Blues Festival, which is a big one of the big ones on the circuit. And the question was, what do you prefer? Do you prefer writing, recording, or performing? And I was like, that's a really good question. And I think the answer is, after some thought, performing. And uh, the beauty of being a songwriter as well is that you can write for your own performance. So... You can write to showcase a certain element of your vocal ability, or you can write to show off some guitar work and stuff like that that you couldn't do if you were just doing covers all the time. Um, yeah, it really so, spreads your personality and, yeah. and your interests in life and what you feel is close to your heart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's communicating and trying to make, make those uh, connections with, with fellow humans as well is very gratifying. So. so when you started to work on Timeline, which was the the 2014 breakthrough album, I mean, you know, that you know, it's you know, what the, basically what five people I think get nominated yeah. for the you know an award like that. Yeah. I mean, you didn't win it unfortunately, but you you're up against some you know people doing great making great music yeah. as well, which yeah. is a really good thing. Did it take long for you to bring the songs together for that album? I mean, were these songs that you had been performing and, you know, were comfortable with, or were these songs that were specifically written with um, an album in mind? No, not not written with an album in mind, but uh, I don't try and force the process. If I'm not inspired, if the muse isn't with me, I don't try and force it. I just wait for it. And so I write when, I f when something clicks and it's like, oh, that's a good idea. And make might have there might be a snippet of a, a lyric or something that I like and can kind of build on or a melody. So I wrote the songs as they came, and then when I had, and then I started thinking oh, I've got almost enough for an album. So I did write maybe a couple of the tunes just to get the number of tracks up. I think there's twelve, eleven tracks on that album. Yeah, it, it was writing 
without an album in mind, but yeah. So when you write, I mean, are you somebody that comes up with a melody first and then thinks about lyrics, or are you, you know, are you one of those people that has a little book and will scribble down? You it know, it can on? come from any angle, but um, a lot of the songs uh, that I've written more recently are words first. And so um, I just find that if I can shut everything else off and just just focus on the lyrics as I'm writing the poetry, I find the um, the melody might pop out just kind of from the the meter of the of the words, and and then once I've got a melody, then I can put chords to it. So I have done quite a lot of songs where it's focusing on the poetry, and I also find that that. I think doing the lyrics first also makes a statement about what I feel is important in a song. And I really hold great stock in the quality, quality of the lyrics and what they're communicating. So I put them first in the process. Are you able to write at home or are you, is that one of those things that you prefer to do, you know, maybe go away for a, I, a I generally, I generally do write at home. You know, I've got a little studio. It's kind of a multi-purpose type media room that I can go. But you're going to lock the kids out. <laughs> More or less. You can hear them still above me. But uh, but that's not to say, you know, songs can come in the most un unexpected and unusual places. I have a song from Timeline called The Busker, and I wrote it in Stanley Park. Stanley Park is the, the, yeah. the, the park there mm -hmm. in the center of Vancouver. Uh, and it started to come when my kids were sitting on the little train that goes around Stanley Park with their mum. And uh, I suddenly started, these lyrics started coming down. So I literally wrote it on my phone. By the time I'd left Stanley Park, I had three verses. And then mm -hmm. I went home and put the chorus and the, the harmonica lead in. So <laughs> you yeah, just it's, never know when it's going to come. It's funny. I was in, but you better be ready when yeah. it does. <laughs> I was interviewing someone else today and, and we had exactly the same conversation about suddenly being in a place when an idea for a song comes up yeah. and you know, the benefits of having your cell phone there yeah. and being able to record something, yeah. whether it's just, you know, words yeah. or, or even, you know, uh, perhaps a melody or something. Yeah. Uh, it's, it really helps the actual process. Yeah. Um, of of making music, I was literally writing, you know, tapping the the, the words into Notepad, yeah. into the notebook of my phone. So the most recent <clears throat> album, Fragments. Now, that was the 2017 album. I mentioned it's a fabulous album, one of my favorite albums. Thank you. Of that year, that was on the Borealis record label. Yeah. Now, Timeline wasn't. I don't no. think. No. Was it because of Timeline that? they decided to, to take a look at you? Uh, yeah, because of that, um, the CFMA nomination. I went to the uh, the awards, obviously with fingers crossed, um, in Ottawa, uh, and I got to play showcase. The The partners at Borealis were there. They saw, they obviously had heard, I think, heard my album because probably part of the... Uh, uh, the, the process, the, yeah. The, the, yeah. the judges, and... Um, and then they got to see me perform live, and it was kind of off the back of that. They came up and approached me and, you know, said that we'd be interested in working with you on your next project. Now, as much as Borealis is a great label, I mean, they, I love their packaging. Uh, one of the things I love is just getting an album that has Borealis written on it, because I know that any music they send me yeah. is going to be music that I definitely want to listen to, and I probably... I will play on the radio because yeah. I can't think of an album that they have sent me that I thought, no, that doesn't fit with right. with my radio show. But things are a lot different from the days of labels when, you know, you would sign for a label and they would give you some money to go away and, and play and make music. Uh, that's not the arrangement at all. I mean, it's almost, is it more like a deluxe distribution deal that they have? <laughs> I'm trying to work out the right way. I don't want to offend anybody. No, by no, it. it's a good point. Um, Put it this way, the reason why I signed was because, first of all, I felt that it gave that uh, credibility that I needed, that the label was interested enough to want to work with me, and uh, I could have easily have done it independently again, like I did with Timeline. They're called uh, aggregators, distribution aggregators. TuneCore is one of them. CD Baby is another one. And so I actually put Timeline out through TuneCore, 
Oh, and, and Bandcamp, I think. But TuneCore puts it out in all the digital places too, right? You know, in terms of distribution, I don't think that the, the distribution of fragments was much different to what I was able to do by myself. The difference was what you alluded to earlier. One of the things that they offered was kind of a mass mail out of the album once it was ready of like eight, eight, nine hundred units. And I'm like, well, for me to do that, that's a huge undertaking and a costly one. And I don't have all the addresses and, you know. Yeah, they have that. So they have the infrastructure yeah. in place. So these to, are mailing out to, for radio, radio stations play, and things to and review. And else, and yeah. Basically review and radio, yeah. I'm glad I did because I uh, um, got, uh, I've received more radio play um, from that album than ever, than anything else I've put out myself. In fact, like, my song Everything Goes Green, which is the the opening track to Fragments, was the number two Canadian song for folk DJs. There's a, there's a, you're probably aware there's a chart right. called Folk DJ, folk DJ, I think. Yeah, folk DJ chart. Yeah. <laughs> and as folk DJs um, voluntarily send in their spins, spin information. And based on that, they compile a chart. Yeah, so on that chart, Everything Goes Green was the number two Canadian song. We're talking like campus and community and, and streaming radio mostly, but even still, it's... Uh, it's something. It's getting out there, which is what I wanted. I was trying to extend my reach, right? And now it's also been picked up by Stingray, so there's like three songs that, that, that are on their, that are on their rotation, yeah. and that's yeah. curated. So that's not just kind of random, no, randomly right. selected. Um, it's uh, curated, and so I played a I played a, uh, a house concert again in Mission BC, and I started playing my song Freedom Train, and the woman in front of me was like, "I know this song." She was singing along to it because she she has Stingray on in the I didn't background know that all the time. <laughs> so I think, but what I'm what I'm trying to demonstrate here is uh, how much it's helped raise awareness around my music. And given that stamp of approval from Borealis has definitely helped to get those envelopes opened by by the you know folk DJs and so other, other influences. Is that an album by album deal? I mean, it you know you will go back in the studio make another album yeah. probably sometime in the next year or so. Yeah, it's basically. Can I assume that you would you know Borealis may be interested in picking that up, or is it? Depends very much on how they feel at the time and what else they're No, so out. I signed to do the, the album and then to put out one more uh, in a space of five years. Okay. So, uh, you know, Fragments is a couple of years old almost now. So starting, yeah. starting to think about that. That's a good deal. Next project. Yeah. Good for the independent, for sure. Yeah. So currently you're touring Ontario. Yeah. I think what people maybe watching want to know is how do you how did you set that up? How do you do you just you know cold call and send out emails and do things like that? Uh, places you've been before, perhaps, or people you know that go to these places. Yeah, you said you have a couple of house concerts coming yeah. up too. So, yeah. like, how did how did you arrange a lot of that? I feel I've um, of, of all the other provinces in Canada, aside from BC, of course, where I reside. I have uh, more of a, a relationship in Ontario than any other province. And that's because mostly uh, because of Folk Music Ontario Conference, where I met you. I've been there twice. I'm not the best networker. I, I, I kind <laughs> of, you know, kind of dread it sometimes, you know, don't like small talk and I'd rather just play. <laughs> like it? Great. <laughs> I'm not going to try and make you like it, but... Um, <laughs> But anyway, um, I've made connections through that conference, and it's one thing though making connections and building relationships, but it's another thing to see you know that there may be an opportunity for something there and to follow up on that. Mm -hmm. So I try wherever possible to you know at least make a mental note, but actually write it down on my phone, which is usually on my person. You know, just kind of file away for yeah, something to consider for next time in Ontario, right? And I remembered, Jan, for example, that you had mentioned when you you interviewed me, you'd mentioned uh, Sun Parlor Sessions, and it kind of, you know, it's like, oh, 
maybe I should get in touch with Jen and see if that's a possibility. So thank you for that, by the way. Oh, yeah. I should mention yeah. that uh, Chris Ronald did join us for a Sun Parlor coffee house session as well. So yeah. definitely check out that at sunparlorsessions.com. Yeah. Yeah. But and you're, yeah, and you're really liking the the house concert yeah. concept, right? Yeah, it's uh, you know a reasonable sized crowd with you know very intimate and you mm -hmm. know, and the people are there for you, not to have a meal or to you know socialize or whatever. So how's that how's that working for you? It, it's like my it, it fits my performance that kind of um, intimate show. Um, where I don't feel that I have to kind of quickly brush over the story behind the song. I can give people a bit more of an in-depth account of how it came about. I'm not like rambling on, but you know, um, so, but time and time again, it's like people come up to me and tell me how much they love hearing the story. Uh, and then the song obviously that follows, but, um, so, you know, there's some venues where you feel maybe you have to gloss over that a little bit. It's like, oh, come on, get playing. I don't want to hear the, the banter. But I always feel from house concerts that people are there to have a more intimate experience and to get to yeah, know. They're more interested in you as a yeah. person, as a, yeah. you know, a, an artist. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, a house concert can be any for anything from 30 up to 100 people. Um, and... Yeah, and it, I was saying to Jan earlier, it kind of takes the risk out of it a little bit as well for the artist. Sometimes you might have to hire a venue and you're never quite sure. As much as you try and pull out the stops to get people out, it can be a risky yeah, business. It can fall you know, flat. Especially these days when people have so many other distractions and things to yeah. do. Um, so, yeah, the house concert uh, model kind of takes a little bit of the risk out of it for the artist too, so... Um, now, I'm not saying that that's all I do, but I'm just saying it's something that's becoming more and more popular. And, and you're playing other venues too, <clears throat> yeah. right? So I, I think yeah. your next stop is what, Kingston? Kingston, uh, yeah. And that's, I think I'm doing like three sets of music and I'll probably throw some covers in. And, you know, it's more of a music bar, music cafe type deal. Um, but, you know, you know, you go there and you're never sure like what level of listening is going to be going on, right? Yeah, so. Right. Um, yeah. And I guess it gets easier when you get more well-known, you know, talking about the, the benefits of getting on a, a prestigious boutique label like Borealis. Yeah. I mean, suddenly, you know, people like myself will always open that envelope mm -hmm. first because they know what yeah. they're getting is something really good. Yeah. Um, and I guess that makes the whole networking thing easier because I think when you go to a folk conference and you have, you know, anywhere from three or four hundred people to a thousand or twelve hundred depending on where it is yeah if you don't have any profile at all that's right it gets really hard to actually go yeah. up and say hi i'm chris ronald you're one in a million yeah. you know trying yeah. to you know um meet the same objective as so many yeah. uh other fish in the pond so uh it is important to get that kind of little leg up from people in the industry just kind of following on from your question about um, booking, it's probably the hardest part of the job and the least desirable part of the job. But it is getting easier. You can make a lot of contacts online. Yeah, uh, yeah and most venues will have you know a booking uh, email or yeah. at least contact information. Yeah. So that would uh, kind of facilitate it a little bit. Yeah. But still, you have to wait for responses, and you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> and, and I think that, you know, with the emergence of organizations that will facilitate that, you know, we have Home Roots mm. out of Winnipeg. I mean, they've, they've collected house concert venues in, you know, the West and, yeah. and the East, Ontario. Yeah. And, you know, if you get on their roster, that mm -hmm. obviously is a good way of being able to get on a circuit of, yeah. you know, seven or eight shows or whatever. And that's um, it's definitely on my to-do list. Um, and then there's also that new one, the side door access yep. Uh, yep. that Dan Mangan that's right. is involved with. Now, that sounds a very cool uh, place because it basically seems to be like a dating game for yep. a few musicians. You know, if you have a, 
you know, a venue that is looking for people to play. And if you're a musician, then trying to bring yeah. people together. Yeah, and I've actually just recently signed up with Side Door. It's quite a slick um, platform. Um, and that's yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. It's matching artists with venues that you might that might otherwise be off the radar. Yeah. Have you um, had the chance to use a booking agent at all? I mean, is that something that's ever no. appealed, or you just don't feel you're at that level of being able to to put <sighs> someone in charge of that who's going to take what ten percent of whatever? Yeah, it's like in? as much as much as I uh, don't relish the the sitting down and firing off hundreds of emails and with the hope of maybe getting a response from five percent of them. <laughs> um, I've come. Through experience, that to the conclusion that nobody is going to do uh, a better job than me. Yeah, because you're more interested. Because I, I, it's you know, I have the ultimate yeah. vested interest, sure. right? And uh, so uh, I had dabbled and with an agent and a little disappointed, but uh, and that kind of sealed it for me. It's like no, from now I'm just going to do it myself. I can take myself in the direction that I want to go. Uh, it just means I got to build it up from you know a very uh, uh, build it up from scratch pretty pretty much. So you you manage your own career. Mm -hmm. What about uh, what about marketing? What about social media? What do you do? You, are you very interested in doing <clears throat> that, or is that just a necessary evil? I um, I'm pretty good at using Facebook and Twitter uh, when I'm actually, when I've actually got something to talk about. So that's when I'm touring or maybe I'm making an album. I'm not very good at kind of keeping it going in between times. So it, like you know, it might sit kind of quiet for a few months, and then I've got a new tour coming, and I want to tell everybody about uh, that, it. That seems to be the standard situation for yeah. most people it's like when you know when the iron's hot you strike and then when it cools off yeah you have very little to say about it yeah but i, I think that the people who regard themselves as experts in that area would say that you have to keep yes absolutely that's you know, kind of why keep, I keep the wheel it, yeah. turning all the time yeah. yeah i have to be honest that's one of the reasons why i decided you know just for my radio to to look at methods of actually automating um i picked up a service called social bee Oh yeah. Recently, would actually uh, allows you to, you can program yeah. your Facebook and your Twitter and any, pretty much any social media network, and then you can rotate things. Mm. So in those fallow periods where you, you think you haven't got anything to talk about, and I always say to people, is yeah, you know, just because you don't have an album, you know, it's like that new to you thing. It's like uh, I've inter interviewed people who would say. You know, they, they spend a year making an album and then by the time they put it out, they're already feeling like it's old because mm. it took a year to do it. And it's like, well, if you take it somewhere else, it's new. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're actually going yep. other places with it. And it's sort of getting that mentality that just because something was recorded a year ago or two years ago doesn't mean it's worth bringing back, refreshing yeah. and, and talking about. But, you know, it, it sounds to me that doesn't always go with the artistic side to think about the business aspect the thing is is and this is another conclusion i drew is um social media can be very misleading and so you know you might set up a facebook event you have all these people saying that they're either interested or going no, you like, do the like, event it's like, like mm -hmm. where are they all <laughs> i like the idea <laughs> exactly but you want me to come out <laughs> it's like are you are you supporting me are you just kind of saying you're interested so it looks good on facebook or are you actually interested you know so um yeah it's not it's not the be all and end all, you know, the other thing that I do is if I've got, again, anything to shout about is uh, I have my own um, newsletter subscribers that I send. Oh, that's good. That's send, a good idea. Send emails to. That's more effective than Facebook, to be honest, because it goes direct to the person. They get that personal communication. Yeah, you know. So at every time you do a show, you would collect No, names? more if it's a talk. Yes, yeah. So yeah. I have a sign-up sheet. Yeah, sign-up sheet. Yeah. At my shows. And it's uh, gradually building that base, you know. And then when I'm back there, I'll let them know. Which it kind of goes with the house concert yeah. style of things. Because, you know, the, most people who start a house concert series <clears> will eventually, you know, maybe slow at the start, but eventually you start to build I up think that's a, a good list of names of people who yeah. appreciate the people you're bringing in and will yeah. come out and I think that them. the house concert concept is it's interesting i hadn't thought about it too much before but it seems to be like another whole another you know 
way to go with that, you know, touring and things. And it seems like it's, you know, catching on. It's a little tricky maybe for, um, if you know, your insurance and things like this, but I guess there's rules to follow. And it sounds like now there's people and businesses out there to help uh, facilitate that. Which is very interesting. So what about streaming? Have you made millions on streaming so far? Or, you know? No. <laughs> no. Um, you know, I'm on Spotify and uh, I guess part of the distribution, I go into all those digital realms that, uh, you know, we don't need to talk about Spotify and the, and the return for the artist there because it's, it's negligible unless you're getting millions of spins. Uh, and so like the rap artists do pretty well on Spotify and that's, you know, that the most highly consumed well, there's, you get into genre these, right now. You get into these playlists and if you, yeah. if you make it into a playlist, like there's a local artist who's made it into a, one of these playlists and, yeah. and she does, uh, I think she's still doing fairly well, yeah. which is impressive, but it seems to be very few and far between that people make these lists. And there is an art to it. There's a, uh, there's an art to, uh, you know, it takes time and you're sitting down and you are trying to forge a relationship with the people who curate these playlists. Uh, I, I just, frankly, I just haven't got the time mm -hmm. to sit down and try and find yet another way to you know, mm. deal with the digital. Yeah. Um, and so, and it kind of feeds into what my kind of final comment on the matter is that nothing replaces the physical presence, the performance, you know, getting out there and um, setting up your shows and, and broadcasting your music that way, the way that it always was meant to be broadcast, which is right from the artist. Um, which that, that also goes to that whole idea of <clears throat> as much as the business side might feel alien to a lot of people, you have to, you know, when you find a, a venue that's a, that looks like it would be suitable for your music, make yeah. sure that you, you're noting that information, reaching yeah. out to people, um, you know, and trying to get in there. Right? Yeah. I think that's, that's the key because uh, as you mentioned earlier, there are, there is so many other potential distractions out there, whether we're talking TV, video, games, yeah. movies, whatever, um, yeah. that it's easy for people to say, oh, I, I don't need to go to live music. Exactly. I can, you know, click on Spotify or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Well, it's, it's clear that you enjoy the performing. So that's, you know, that's definitely your, your track that you want to follow. That that's my emphasis. It's like you know, I I hold hold the highest importance in finding new places to perform because I love the performing side of it. I don't particularly like the sitting in front of a computer side of it. You know, I'd just rather be out there hey, doing. Might as well be a yeah. teacher, right? <laughs> what about grant writing? Because you know, grants can really make it easier for mm -hmm. people to tour. You know, you can get grants to make video. You can grant grants to make albums. Yeah. Does that come into the realm of this is work that I have to do that I don't really want to do? It seems to me that once you break in and get actually used to writing grants, yeah. Um, it gets easier. I mean, obviously, yeah. granting agencies change all the time, particularly on the political flavor and the yeah. you know the specific area of the country. But how do you find that writing grants works out? The other the other key uh, benefit of signing up with Borealis was that they actually um, recommended a grant writer oh, nice. to me. Okay, uh, so um, so I then communicated directly with that person. And because I'm signed uh, to Borealis, it's also a slightly different process. They kind of get direct board approval on on grants, uh, so that means it kind of leaps leapfrogs all those other independent. In a way, it kind of leapfrogs all those independent applications, you know, from independent artists. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I was successful in getting funding um, for fragments. Now it doesn't cover the whole cost. But you know a good chunk of it, so that not all the risk is on me. And then um, they'll they'll support your tour as well. So, like a tour like this coming to Ontario, you get support well, for some of that. There's a certain window where you can draw on available funds uh, after you've made the recording. That window's shut now, 
But that um, the, tour, the European touring I was doing last year was helped by Factor. So that's great because I wanted to take a bigger sound with me. I wanted to take um, John, my sideman and, and Mike, fiddle player, percussionist out there and make more of a splash, right? And so I've got a little bit of funding helping me with flights and car hire and stuff like that. I'm more likely to do that. And it makes for a better show and a more fun tour, you know. And maybe potentially play a little bit bigger venues. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more of an offering. Recently, I'm pleased to say I have had success with Canada Council for the first time. And uh, actually, it was amazed by how streamlined their um, website is for, for applying. So it's, it's never really particularly enjoyable activity grant writing but like you said once you kind of through the door once you're on their radar you are then potentially writing a grant and you 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 kind of feel that you've actually got a chance of getting it which makes which the I grant holds people which back, makes right? the grant yeah. writing more bearable yeah. <laughs> rather than you know you're just kind of uh doing all this upfront work and you've got the year of the attitude like so, so some of the grants you, some of the grants you write, and others the written yeah, by so writer. Yeah, so I I applied to Canada Council, and uh, I got some uh, tour money, travel money for a tour I did last year, and I've applied to them for this one. But so often, you know, you you don't have your tour uh, all nailed down until you know a month or so. But so long as you, um, you know, a month or so before you leave. Um, but so long as you, at least with Canada Council, so long as you apply to them before you actually fly, <laughs> then it's in the system, but you might have to wait months before you hear whether or not you're successful. So if you're talking to somebody who isn't grant writing, like I, I talk to a lot of people who, quite frankly, don't want to even go there. And I think it's because that fear of rejection that we all have to yeah. deal with. You know, you know, oh, nobody are gonna, nobody's going to consider me because... They're considering all these other people mm. who have, you know, a little bit of label weight behind them. And yeah. you mentioned the Borealis Records will smooth the way for mm -hmm. an artist like yourself because of the connections they have and the fact that they're very respected in the business. Yeah. Uh, what would you say to somebody who's starting out? I mean, do you say, look, you should really try and get in and write grants? I mean, is it important to find someone to write them for you, do you think, at the start? Is that easier or should you just get in and do it yourself? Um, well, I went to, uh, I went to like, a what would you call it? Um, an information session for Canada council. They were doing, they were touring around Canada and, you know, just kind of giving people interested in and, um, applying for grants, background information as to what they're looking for. So I'd say somebody, for somebody starting out, see if the organization is actually holding an information session anywhere, because that was really useful information to then go and write, write my grant. I kind of had a feeling for what they wanted to see in the application. Um, it also wouldn't hurt to, to actually get a, a grant writer who has experience in it, but then the chances are you might be paying them an upfront fee and maybe even a percentage of mm -hmm. the grant if you're awarded it, right? But also with the likes of Factor, um, I'm not sure about Canada Council, but there's also, you know, smaller grants that are available for, you know, kind of people who are just starting out or, I mean, again, they've, they've still got to be impressed with what's being presented to them. Um, but, you know, I did apply to Factor. They have like... Uh, um, I can't remember what it's called now, but they have a, a little uh, grant available for uh, that I applied for when I was just starting out with the Timeline album that pay for like the uh, production of one of the tracks or something like that, which just kind of helped a little bit. Yeah, for somebody starting out, look to see if there's a, a little grant that they could uh, they could write for themselves. So the little of the grant also is the less involved the application process right. is usually. And just see it as like an ongoing project and profile building exercise with those organizations. Yeah. Well, it's been great to talk to you today. If people want to learn more about your music, 
I'm assuming that you're all over the internet. I know when I ask this question, people say, oh, yeah, I'm on all the social medias and everything. I mean, yeah. uh, is that the best way to, to get you? Check out your website? Website is, is the first thing I update. Um, so, yeah, chrisronald.com. Uh, built it myself from WordPress. You know, oh, there it is. <laughs> uh, could probably do it a little upgrade, actually, but it serves the purpose. And I've had feedback saying, I like your website because it's just it's straightforward. You know, it's good. Well, you um, know, I, I'm a great believer in websites being important to keep up. I know yeah. that there are people out there that, and and I, I go to artist websites all the time. I mean, yeah. every day. And sometimes I'll be surprised that there's almost like nothing there. Yeah. And other people who, you know, have been obviously working on their website yeah. for years. And, you know, like yours, I mean, it's, it's something that, you know, people are updating as they go. Yeah. There are also people who... Um, who've really moved away from social media, like Reed Jameson from out in oh, yeah. uh, Vancouver, I think, yeah, decided I to, to do less huh. uh, through social media and trying to drive people through the website. I know that this yeah. research said that, you know, that if you can get people to to pick up your newsletter yeah. and sign up, you know, that way is probably a much better way of getting Getting the people that won't just click like, yeah, exactly. I like your music, but will exactly. actually come and see you play. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it goes back to that, you know, social media just being a bit misleading. Yeah. yeah. It's been great to have you join us. We have this little thing we do at the end of the business of music. We call it Round the Table. It's an opportunity just to get a little bit of feedback on different questions. Yeah. Um, kind of on the fringe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to start off with the, the first question is biggest influence on your career? Um, now, but do you mean in like from a songwriting point oh, of view? Oh, I just, it's like whatever. What, what, yeah, popped, I mean, in, what popped into your yeah, head? Your when wife she said can that. definitely be in there, but whoever <laughs> else you want to put in there. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I really don't know. Biggest, biggest influence on my career. Career is a broad thing. Um, so if it was to boil it down to songwriting, I'd probably say, you know, Neil Young was pretty, pretty up there and kind of formulating my sound, um, and support of family, particularly my, uh, my family back in England have, uh, always been very, uh, interested and supportive of, in what I do. Right, always um, and yeah, I think. Also, just this inner drive, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and you need a lot of it because it's, you know, yeah, it takes perseverance. Yeah, well, and, and you obviously, <clears throat> it, it, I think that it seems like it's an industry, particularly with the, the current challenges, that really separates people out. That those people who you know you you know that can roll with the punches yeah. and, and keep plugging away. Yeah, yeah. it's really important. What about next question would be what about your worst touring experience? <laughs> Uh, worst touring experience, uh, was probably when we went to Europe last year, which was on the whole was a really great tour, but you know, every now and again, you, um, just to kind of keep the money rolling in, it's expensive to be on tour, especially if you've got other musicians, uh, uh, in tow. And, uh, we went to this British pub in, um, uh, somewhere in Germany and, uh, we were we were promised bed and breakfast, and um, we were taken upstairs to to our beds, and they were a little uh, <laughs> lacking, and that makes me feel bad because I booked that show, and I've got two guys who are now thinking we can't stay here. <laughs> you know, we had to. Well, that can wreck a tour, right? Because yeah. you end up suddenly end up having to book a hotel yeah. that you hadn't expected to, to yeah. pay for. And, well, we tried, but there was. There was some event. Oh, uh, there was a big concert happening nearby, and all the hotels were booked up. So we had to just <laughs> had a rough do it. Day. But um, yeah, you have to take the rough with the smooth in this business. <laughs> best touring experience? Uh, best touring experience, I would say. Um, there's a venue or two in Holland which I love to play. The people are amazing, and they, you know, they really got their act together as far as Canada's concerned it's got to be Calgary Folk Club Alberta seems to have a yeah. really good folk network doesn't yeah. it yeah there's great folk clubs in, in all over Alberta and I've played a few of them but I've played twice at Calgary 
and uh, you know there's 400 strong, but you can hear a pin drop. No, just wow. yeah, that sounds amazing. It's a little intimidating yeah. for the first time, but yeah. <laughs> We're going to switch horses completely. What is your favorite live album? I know you don't have one of your own yet, but what would be your favorite live album you've ever heard? Um, probably Four Way Street, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. What is it about that album that you love? I mean, is it the, the moment in time? I mean, the, the fact that they were, you know, coming together to create something that was bigger than the four individuals that um, stage at that time? Well, I already kind of knew about Neil Young and then the CSNY connection kind of came a little later. So finding that album um, was awesome. And you also kind of get some of the little background conversations recorded in there. So you get a feel for that live experience. But the harmonies and the songs, and you know, mm -hmm. just, just great. What about you? Well, I was going to ask you first. Okay. And I brought one, oh, of, brought one of my favorite live oh. albums. From 1972, oh, Made in Japan. The Purple Made oh, wow. in Japan. Oh, my God. This was purchased in 1972. Oh, there you go. I pulled it out of my archives. But did they sign it? No. <laughs> no, of course but that, not. But that's lovely. You know, that's funny. It's one of those iconic albums. And, you and know, it, I recognized it as soon as I saw the gold. Yeah, it's not that it's a really great album, but it was the time period. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm obviously, I like Rush, and Exit Stage Left is great, and... There's, they have, I think they have like seven live albums, so they're all very good. But this one I, is pretty interesting. I really enjoy listening to that one. And that's an interesting, you know, it's funny because when we put these questions down, you know, Gary and I was always say, well, you know, we have to come up with our own ideas. Well, I would probably still go back to Frampton Comes Alive, even though that that's album great. had a bit of stuff that wasn't actually in the shows on. Yeah, but it's, yeah. and there's it's some still, the thing with Frampton Comes Alive as a double album is it's one of those albums that you really can just listen all the way through and you do not tire. I mean, no. it, it feels like you're at that show. And it's funny because I just listened to a radio inter interview. Well, they were just discussing that album and how Peter Frampton came from Humble Pie and the record label didn't really know what to do with them. Yeah. And they, because his, his, you know, studio albums did not do that well. And they thought, you know what? They went out and they actually rented a venue and put this together, and then they ended up doing some other recordings at yeah. different venues and put the album together, and it was like like a killer. I mean, you had that one. Right about the same time you had that, you had Kiss Alive. You know, you had Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. You had all these ones. The Who Live at Leeds was earlier oh, than that. classic album. You know, and then a the, really good yeah, one. Yeah, and the other thing I was going to say, Simple Minds, Live mm -hmm. in the City of Life was one of my uh, – City of Light was one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Uh, all going up, Live Stiffs, which, yeah. you know, was Elvis, Elvis Costello, mm. Ian Jury, Nick Lowe, Larry Wallace, and Reckless Eric. And I was at that show where they recorded it, which is yeah. another thing that, you know, when you go to a show that actually gets recorded, it's mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you know, hear me mm. screaming? <laughs> <laughs> you have to like that. Yeah. Oh, and Kay, last and but not least, Beatles or Stones? Beatles. Right, you didn't even hesitate. <laughs> now she's gonna ask. Yeah, early Beatles or late Beatles? Uh, Beatles? All of it. No, no preference. Yeah. Just yeah. It's like such I, like, a huge. Yeah, uh, it's, it's such a big catalog and such it <clears throat> transcends time, a time period. You know. Yeah. I uh, listened to the Beatles a lot as a kid. I have a Beatles songbook. They were some of the first songs I ever learned how to play. And uh, yeah, what great masters to learn from. McCartney and Lennon and Harrison, of course. I don't know. Ringo maybe wrote a couple too. Oct well, I think Octopus didn't Ringo put, the, Ringo put out the first <laughs> first solo album after the yeah, split, yeah. I think. Yeah. Ringo, Ringo actually, you know, not just the, um, you know, the jokes about whether Ringo was a good drummer or not. Well, of course, he was a good drummer. Yeah. He still is a good drummer. But, yeah, yeah he's a... I think in some ways I don't think he ever got his due, which raises mm. another question down the road. I did have one other question for you and slightly out of sync, but I wanted to ask you this question because some singer-songwriters, when I talk to them, uh, will say, well, they don't like to listen to other people's music. Do you find other people's music, um, I mean, do you listen to other people's music? Do you find it doesn't influence you or do you find that you prefer not to um, dwell too much on what other people are producing. By like any music that's out there, you mean? 
Yeah, I mean, some people have said they don't like to, you know, they, they're concerned about being too influenced. No, no. I, um, I would encourage a, 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 a varied diet of other people's music as a songwriter. Um, and it might, you know, I don't, I can't think of a song that like sounds like, uh, that I've written that sounds like somebody else's, but there might be one tiny element that you would never know about. Maybe it's you know, like two, two notes put together, you know, um, that might spark or might be included in my own song. Uh, so no, a wide, wide variety of listening is recommended. I'd say. It's interesting you say that because, you know, people go on. Um, I talk about now the Spotification of music because I think, you know, Spotify has really changed the way that people actually yeah. um, create music, particularly yeah. because I think, what is it like? They, they want them to grab people's attention within the first 10 yeah, seconds. Yeah, the marketing aspects yeah. are crazy. And that's it for this edition of The Business of Music. You can find me online at folkrootsradio.com. And I'm online at quantumsoundproductions.ca. And Chris, it's been a pleasure having you join us today. Remember, Chris Ronald hangs out at chrisronald.com. One final question. If we're distilling our conversation down to just one piece of advice, what would be that one piece of advice you'd give to an aspiring singer-songwriter? It's funny because I thought thought about this earlier and I can't remember what I came up with. Um... What advice would I give to an aspiring songwriter? Um, I think find out why you're doing it. And um, for me, I think it's come, it's clear that uh, I do it because I love to share and perform my creations. Uh, and it kind of keeps me away from the digital side of it. I don't know. I don't think I'm giving you a very good answer here. I think you should restart. <laughs> you should restart the camera, <laughs> and that'll give me time to think about. Uh, there's so many. There's so many. So many elements to it. Um, be good at what you do. Believe in yourself, and um, persevere. You've been listening to the Business of Music, hosted and produced by Jan Hall from Folk Roots Radio and Gary Glass from Quantum Sound Productions. The Business of Music is directed by Gary Glass and recorded in the Quantum Sound Production Studio in Kingsville, Ontario. Visit us on YouTube and SoundCloud. We'll see you next time.